The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host today, joined by James Fox, our co-host. James, senior writer at Future Sox. Always good to have him aboard. Our special guest on this occasion is 670 The Scores, associate producer of the Mullion Haw Show, Kevin Zpack. You can follow Kevin on Twitter at Kevbo underscore. Kevin, it's so good to talk to you. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And as I mentioned, obviously, you're working the Mullion Hall Show. We can hear you on Monday through Friday, 5 to 9 a.m., uh, working the board. But, uh, you know, it's it's got to be tough on your on your mental state, right, to be able to get into work. What time do you get in at work, typically, and, and maintain a healthy lifestyle working that early shift? Uh, well, thanks for having me, first and foremost. So, yeah, you used to be able to hear me a lot more on the morning show, not as much these days. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's not really possible to maintain a healthy lifestyle uh, and work those hours. I think it was uh, Dan Bernstein that said, he, he told me one time that it, it literally, no exaggeration, like working those hours literally will take years off of your life and age you like very rapidly. So I've been doing it for uh, five years now. I just had my my fifth anniversary of, of working on the morning show, and I uh, I look like hell. I feel terrible, but uh, it, it's all uh, it's all worthwhile now in terms of uh, staying up late because I can actually enjoy White Sox baseball at a at a very consistent level, which is not something we've really been able to do outside of uh, briefly in 2012. I guess they they had a couple of good months that year, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's difficult. It's not easy. I, I get up usually around three sixteen. That's when the alarm goes off. There's <laughs> um, a little nod to Stone Cold Steve Austin, of course. And I try to get in there. Um, yeah, about a quarter till. Get everything ready. You know, double check anything I may have missed from the night before. Uh, something that might have happened in another game I wasn't watching. You know, if I'm watching the Sox, I go and I say, okay, what happened with the Cubs or if the Bulls were on that night, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's definitely um, it's it's not something I'd ever recommend to anyone living their life this way. But uh, it's pretty much uh, what I've uh, tied myself to, and I'm gonna keep doing it for the the time being. Yeah, you're a huge part of the reason you and uh, Ray Diaz as well. Got to give a shout out to Ray, who works extremely hard over at the Score to oh, make Ray. yeah Mullion Hall sound as good as possible. And um, yeah, it's it's prime Chicago sports radio in the morning, the number one show. Uh, in that time slot across sports sports media, at least uh, in the city, for a reason. You guys have a big part in that, so good for you guys. Congrats. I, I've lived that shift a little bit, but not obviously to the extent that you have. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely not easy. You guys make it seem so. But you were working that show on the trade deadline uh, the other day on August 31st. The White Sox stood pat. I was just curious about some of the conversations that you were working with throughout the day and adjusting on the fly working in radio because, of course, the White Sox were attached to Lance Lynn, Brandon Woodruff from Milwaukee potentially, and even Mike Clevenger of Cleveland. Um, So just take me through how you were following those developments throughout the day across the morning and then as the deadline passed and the White Sox obviously didn't make a move, what was that knee-jerk reaction from you? Well, I, I definitely thought, and, and I still think, even though the deadline has passed, that they are a little light 
uh, on arms, given uh, both in the rotation and in the bullpen. I think the loss of Aaron Bummer was, um, you know, massive. And, and we've seen that a little bit kind of catch up to the Sox to an extent recently. You know, other guys have, have certainly stepped up. And, and Jace Fry, who was somebody that, that I kind of wrote off a, a while ago, is has turned into something of a reliable option uh, for a lefty out of the pen, but certainly not up to Bummer's uh, level. And then in the rotation, you know, Carlos Rodon, I think at this point we can probably stop, you know, counting on him. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez is, you know, he's been up for a while. I, I feel like I know what he is, and, and I don't think that he's a, a viable rotation arm going forward. And as much as I love Dylan Cease, and, and you have to love the stuff that he throws, he's kind of been walking a tightrope all year long, uh, getting himself into jams, getting himself out of a lot of jams, too. Uh, but but it seems like there's almost sort of a house of cards aspect to a Dylan Cease start. It's, it's kind of like, when is this thing going to finally – implode on him so I would have definitely liked to see some movement to to bring in some arms uh not Mike Clevenger I was against that one uh, pretty much from the get-go uh, probably mainly because the the rumor was that Michael Kopech would have gone the other way and you've seen what Cleveland does with talented right-handed pitching uh and, and I feel like that one would have come back and haunted the Sox Lance Lynn um you know, he's really kind of rejuvenated himself in Texas. I think he would have made a great addition to the rotation, but apparently the price for him, very high, and uh, and the price for Brandon Woodruff, very high as well. So I, I'm not too upset about them standing pat. Uh, maybe they could have made a move for Archie Bradley, but uh, that one, I could probably live with that. Uh, but I, I'm glad that they're not, you know, going all out and, and kind of pushing all the chips to the middle of the table in his, in his, in what is year one um, of what should be a competitive window of, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, hopefully. And, and it didn't really make sense to me. And I think that's kind of the feeling that Rick Hahn had as well. And, and I'm sure you guys, you know, it, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to start, you know, tossing all these, you know, oh, let's Kopech and, and Vaughn and Stever and let's just throw everything out there and, and get rid of all of our young prospects because we got to win in 2020. We got to win in 2020. There's going to be there's going to be a good chance that they they make a run this year as the team is constructed, and then if you keep all of those younger players and the prospects, then you can just keep building and reloading year after year, supplement that with free agents, and then not only can you compete this season, uh, but in 21, 22, 23. So you always want to see some movement. You always want to see your team make a move on the trade deadline day. Uh, they didn't, but I'm not all broken up about it. I think I'm. I'm cool with this roster for the most part for 2020. Yeah, Kevin, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. I mean, it, I kind of thought they were going to get something done. I, I think their system, you know, it's just like a little bit weird, right? So when a, when a Lance Lynn is out there, of course, Texas is going to, you know, keep begging for like an sure. Andrew Vaughn and the White Sox aren't going to do that. But, you know, the rest of their system, I think guys like Jonathan Stever and Matthew Thompson, some of these other guys are really hurt by not having a minor league season. I mean, if Jonathan Stever pitches at Birmingham this year and he's really good and he's the 65th-ranked prospect in baseball, like maybe, maybe it's a little bit different like at this deadline. I kind of, you know, thought that they, you know, Kevin Gossman, somebody like a rental, but they just seem to yeah. be not really interested in paying the price that it would take to get a rental and also not willing to give up like the top guys for somebody with control. And I, you know, I don't, I don't really blame them for that. Obviously nobody wants to see Michael Kopech or Andrew Vaughn go anywhere. Is there another like prospect, you know, I guess in that five to 10 range that you would have been really upset seeing go for, you know, even for like a Lance Lynn where you'd get this year and next year. Yeah. Well, I think definitely, um, you know, Stever has been a name that we, we've all heard a lot about, um, over the last couple of seasons, the way he has uh, been, been pitching in the minor leagues. And and Dunning, who, you know, I can't really remember off the top of my head when they made the trade, uh, the Adam Eaton trade with Washington, where they got back Dunning and uh, Giolito, of course, and Reynaldo Lopez. Um, Dunning always kind of seemed to me, and maybe it's just because uh, he did get injured and that was kind of a setback for him. And Giolito and Lopez were up first. It almost seems like Dunning was forgotten, but he was, you know, there was a reason that the White Sox wanted to acquire him. You know, he was a, he was a really highly touted arm with really good stuff. And now this year in 2020, he's just pitched a couple of times, but he's looked great. 
And uh, I, I think that that's a guy who I don't want to say kind of surprised me with how good the stuff was. Um, but seeing him just in a couple starts this year, I kind of added him to the list too. I'm just like, all right, no, we got to keep Dane Dunning as well. So I think those were the, the biggest names that I, I saw, you know, in addition to the ones you mentioned, Vaughn, of course, who is just, you know, he wakes up and, and starts hitting and Kopech who's got all the talent in the world. Uh, but I think in particular, you know, I really didn't want to see Dane Dunning jettisoned away after two really promising starts. You know, if he's able to stay healthy, which is always a concern, especially for a guy like him who's already missed some time. I mean, he looks like he can slot right into a big league rotation. And I'm, and I'm talking, you know, this year going forward as your number three, four starter, maybe. Yeah, it's something me and Mike have talked about a little bit. It's just like Dane Dunning is kind of like the forgotten prospect a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think he was like the 73rd ranked prospect in baseball when he got hurt. Like he was, you know, at double A, he was probably going to factor into the big league team like last year at some point mm-hmm. and then and then got hurt. And, you know, he's a little bit old. He is like 25, I think. So it's kind of like, you know, I think people think that he's coming up to just be this like back end guy. And I think you're right. I think he's, you know, he's probably a number four starter in the big leagues right now. He obviously pitched against Detroit and Kansas city. So we got to see him against better teams, but you know, I feel more confident about Dane Dunning going forward than I do Reynaldo Lopez. And I think, and I think if you told me that you feel more comfortable with Dane Dunning than Dylan Cease, like I, you know, I, I could understand that type of thing too. So I guess going forward here, they kind of said, I think Ricky said, Dunning has earned his spot in the rotation. I think Carlos Rodon's going to come back and actually try to pitch next week. Um, yeah. Do you Dylan, think? Do you think we're actually going to see Rodon in in the majors again this year, though? Yeah. So, in a game. Yeah. So, well, I heard that he's you know he he's supposedly throwing a hundred pitches in Schaumburg. Now, right. I think I think he makes another start. Do I think that he like is part of the rotation going forward and he stays healthy? Like, no, I would not bet on that. I think we see him like at least try one more time is what I, is what I would say. But I guess, so then going forward with this rotation, do you think it's, you know, Dunning, Dunning and Cease is obviously in it, but you think Dunning's in it from now on. And then, you know, Lopez is kind of the guy that goes if a Carlos Rodon can make it back. Yeah. I think that uh, Dunning, you know, as you just said, I think what he showed last time, and you know, what five innings of no hit ball and, and, the way he looked in his debut, too, I think we all agree that Renteria probably left him in that in that debut uh, a little bit longer than he should have. You know, Steve Stone will probably be the first one to tell you that. He was talking about it all game long on the broadcast, and then what happens? Of course, he, he gets hit hard in the next inning. So I think Dunning is, at this point, you know, I don't want to go too over my skis and call him, you know, the third most reliable option they have in the rotation right now. But uh, just after two starts, I think that might be, uh, a, a little bit getting ahead of myself, but, you know, back to the Dylan Cease thing, like I was talking about earlier, if you just look at the surface stats, you know, four and two record, 3.0 ERA, he, he gets out of jams and, and the stuff is, is undeniable. He can hit triple digits with the fastball. He's got a, a vicious breaking ball, but then you kind of look at the, uh, at his fan graphs page, and he's actually a negative four player this year with a, a fifth up at 619 and he's not really striking guys out and he's walking way too many guys. He is kind of tearing apart uh, the two ways that you think about a starting pitcher in the traditional sense with traditional stats and then the advanced numbers and the way he kind of keeps getting himself in trouble. So I, uh, every time Dylan Cease is scheduled to, to take the mound, I'm excited and I'm saying, okay, maybe this is the, the day where he just kind of puts it all together and he doesn't terrify me for the duration of his start. But um, I, I think that it's just, I, I don't know what to to really pinpoint it on and what's missing with Cease. You know what I mean? Obviously he's a really young pitcher. He's still pretty inexperienced. He's got a long way to go to put everything together and kind of channel all of the very obvious talent that he has. But, but right now I, I don't know that you can call him a, a viable number three in this rotation and with Ronaldo Lopez I mean I'm about done with him honestly it's like he's he's gonna pitch if he's healthy he's going to get into games whether it's as a starter whether it's maybe long relief or or whatever role they choose for him but I think if he does start games I I think that Renteria has to be really quick with that hook you don't have to 
you know, try to push him to get four or five innings. If you start him and you get two innings out of him and maybe you have to just go with a bullpen game, I think you have to settle with that because I don't think Lopez is, is, is quite the quality to be a, a, you know, a solid rotational piece either. I think a lot of that has to do with the conversation we were talking about to, to open up the show is the trade deadline and how it influenced Rick Hahn's decision-making, right? And I think you both really hit on important topics because, you know, these teams that were giving up the prime pitching prospects that the Sox were targeting, hey, they, they want the Vaughns of the world in the Sox system, and the Sox just weren't willing to get rid of that. So when you talk about the inconsistencies of Cease, you feel like he can be a big league contributor consistently. It's just has he hasn't put it together yet on that scale that you'd like to see him, obviously, with the stuff. Reynaldo Lopez, Carlos Rodon, there are question marks at the back end there. You don't expect Gio Gonzalez, obviously, to be a part of the actual core moving forward. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. at this point of way the way the White Sox are built, put yourself in Rick Hahn's shoes. You didn't make a move at the deadline. You still feel really confident where you are in terms of roster construction especially position players. So more specifically within the pitching rotation, you didn't make a move. You got some young arms in the pen. Some are hurt. Where do you stand as Rick Hahn the rest of the season as you're monitoring this team and then taking all of that and going into next year? What would his approach be for next offseason? Well, I, I think, you know, you do definitely have to to look at the rotation first and foremost. Giolito is fantastic. I don't think, you know, if anybody is – really questioning, you know, is this sustainable? Is this for real? Et cetera, et cetera. With Lucas Giolito, I think you kind of have to put that to bed. He's an ace. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, You know, Keuchel is as steady as anybody. He's a guy that's going to pretty much not surprise you either way. And and that's a good thing. You know, he's, he's consistent and he's very good. And then outside of that, you know, you know, the younger guys we've talked about Dunning and Cease and, and them trying to make a step forward, but you can't always rely on guys, just, you know, young, talented starting pitchers taking that next step. Otherwise, you know, Ronaldo Lopez, I remember when he made his debut back in 2017 and, and he looked electric. I think we all thought three years later that he would be a lot farther ahead than he is right now. And he's not. And sometimes it just doesn't happen for guys. You want it to happen. And even when a guy is very talented and has good stuff, uh, you know, sometimes they just can't put it together. So I think the first thing that Han has to think about is continuing to fortify the ro- uh, the rotation. Um, you're you're going to have Kopech coming back next year. Obviously, that's going to be uh, a huge boon. But how is he going to look in his first full season, you know, coming off so much missed time and, and coming off the Tommy John? Obviously, far removed from the Tommy John, but kind of getting thrown right back into the fire he'll probably be on an innings limit. I would imagine if you're playing 162 games next year, which I hope that they will be. So uh, free agency, I think Marcus Stroman would be a guy that would cost you money, but he would be very interesting to me. I think Robbie Ray is a free agent. He's having a bad year. He just got traded, but maybe potential bounce back. He's got really electric stuff. Um, you know, just off the top of my head, Jose Quintana will be a free agent uh, in the off season. He, he, he's an old friend. You know, the White Sox always like bringing back players that were once with him. And I think Quintana's tenure with the Cubs has been uh, maybe unfairly scrutinized because of what was given up, you know, to acquire him. And I think Cub fans thought maybe they were getting something that they weren't. You know, you're always going to be compared against what you were traded for. And um, I think he's kind of gotten a rough ride there. So there's going to be options for the rotation. It's just a matter of, you know, how much money are they willing to spend? How much can they spend? Um, you, know, you look at coming into this season when the Nomar Mazara trade went down, I think everybody was kind of not excited about it because <laughs> it's like this guy's been around for a while. We kind of know what he is. It's not going to go well. And it hasn't really gone well. Meanwhile, I was on the radio every day uh, clamoring for Nick Castellanos or Marcelo Zuna. And I think they both, both got an OPS over 900. Uh, this year, which would be much better options in right field than Mazzara, even though they're not left-handed. And I guess that's still important in 1985 baseball. But um, yeah, they got to continue to spend money. They got to continue to fortify um, in terms of the guys in the minors that we talked about next year, probably maybe still too early for Vaughn. Um, but you, you want to continue to see the guys develop and, and hopefully we get back to some sort of semblance of a normal minor league season and normal minor league ball and a normal schedule. And 
and continue to reload with not only young players, but also free agents and, and spending that money every offseason as well and keep building this thing up. I think what you said there at the end is absolutely the case, is the circumstances this year really has an impact on the way the White Sox are evaluating their farm system and their willingness to part ways or incorporate them to the big league club. I know circumstances dictated the young relief arms to get called up, and we're seeing Foster and Hoyer and and some of those arms and Zach Birdie making an impact immediately, which is really encouraging. Uh, But you also mentioned, yeah, their willingness in this offseason potentially to have to spend And I think the way that they approached locking up their young players like Robert and Anderson and Moncada ahead of time and and Eloy Jimenez, yeah, offers them a ton of flexibility. So let's let's talk about those young players, specifically Luis Robert here for you, because we always like to offer our guests their opinions after evaluating Luis Robert a little bit. So impressions of Robert, uh, he's hitting everything on the barrel that's in the strike zone, considered a mistake. James and I consider... Luis Robert, the White Sox best player overall already. Uh, what's your take on Robert so far? Yeah, I mean, what can you say? Uh, I mean, if you, if you watched him play at all, it, it's hard not to be wowed and just kind of floored by the talent. And it's it's one thing to come up as a rookie and, and play great. I mean, you look at Kyle Lewis in Seattle, for instance, he's having a hell of a season. He was a pretty high draft pick as well. And but he's kind of floated under the radar because he wasn't touted up as the next Mike Trout or anything like that. You know, there was so much hype from day one with Louis Robert from the day that he signed uh, as an international free agent to all of the, the folklore and the expectations and the praise and everything heaped around him. It would have been really easy for a guy like that to struggle initially. And, and he struggled to, to a certain point. I mean, he still drives me crazy sometimes when I see him, go up there and, and immediately get down 0-2 and, you know, swing at bad pitches and, and not be as patient as you would maybe like him to be. But the thing is, he's just so insanely talented and strong. He's just, he's a natural, you know, and, and I think I feel like that's something that gets thrown around maybe a little bit too much, but this guy was just born to play baseball and, and just what he is able to do at the plate. Not a lot of guys are just they don't have that ability inherently, you know, you can be the biggest gym rat film, you know, uh, professor, uh, you know, studying all the film you want and breaking this down and analyzing this, analyzing that. If you don't have the talent, then it's, it's not going to come together for you. And, and not every guy has that very few do. And he's one of them that does. And considering how young he is and how dangerous he already is, I agree with you guys. I mean, he's already, the best player on the team, especially, you know, I I thought Moncada was the best player coming into this year, but he's, you know, I don't don't want to say struggled, um, but, you know, he's not where he was last season. And I thought that he was coming into this year, the most well-rounded player, but I think Louis Robert has kind of uh, grabbed that mantle and and is probably going to hold on to that now for the next decade or so. And um, I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the biggest function of that is just the fact that he can play center field, and not that he can play center field, but that he might he be plays a great yeah, center like field. he might yeah. be the best defensive center fielder in you know in the American League, and he looks, you know, he looks like a corner guy. Yeah, I mean, it obviously like we've talked to every guest about Luis Robert, right? And you know, somebody somebody told me that like the freaks like think he's a freak. And, yeah, you hear you hear this stuff about guys, right? And fans. You know, it's just like been a while since like a guy that's been this hyped has actually like lived up to and like exceeded it, right? Like you guys have talked to baseball people that hyped him up and like baseball people are usually like pretty, you know, they're more reserved about how mm-hmm. good a guy is going to be. Where like everybody we talk to is like, yeah, he's awesome. And like, you know, as White Sox fans, we've always been waiting for the prospect that comes up. That's awesome. Like immediately. Exactly. Even, right. Even like, well, you, you could see it, you know, but it took a while. Moncada took a while. How much do you think, you know, bring in your, your expectations for what you thought this club was going to be post COVID when they decided to play the 60 games. And then I guess like, you know, what you think of the club now, but how much does Luis Robert, like being an absolute like stud, how, how much of a game changer is that for this year? Yeah, and, and you kind of hit the nail on the head there. That's something that Molly and I talked about and have talked about a, a lot. And, you know, you look at some of the other teams in uh, across Major League Baseball where, you know, a guy will be a highly touted prospect 
rake in the minor leagues and just come up immediately from day one in the bigs and just, you know, hit the ground running and just, you know, mash from day one. And the White Sox haven't really had that. You know, Moncada, like you said, had to struggle a little bit. He had to grow into it. Aloy certainly had growing pains and injury stuff um, bugging him a little bit last season. Starting pitching-wise, Giolito was god-awful his first year in the league. Now he's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. The White Sox haven't had a guy in Luis Roberts since, I mean, are we going to go back to Frank Thomas? Like a guy, has it been that long? A guy that, you know, was really great in the minors, came up and just hit and, and was amazing from day one. That's how long it's been for the White Sox to have a guy doing what Luis Robert is doing right now. And it's just, um, it, it's amazing to see. In terms of my expectation for the team coming into the year, um, you know, 60 game season, a lot of different variables, teams can get hot, you know, weird stuff can happen. But I, even before the playoff expansion was announced where they like, okay, everybody's in the playoffs now. It'll be fun. Uh, even before that, just if we were going traditional playoffs, I thought they were going to be in. I thought that um, Minnesota and, and the Sox would both come in out of the central. Um, I, I, I didn't think that the, offense would be doing what they're doing obviously I think we all expected them to score a lot of runs but I did not expect Jose Abreu to do what he's doing um Louis Robert you know for all this talent and all the praise that we've heaped upon him uh I thought he would struggle a lot more than he has been I didn't expect Tim Anderson to be hitting what Tim 250 or excuse me 350 uh you know and, and you know be in contention for a batting title again like he was last season so uh, I think the offense has, has exceeded expectations that I had that were already pretty high, and, and they've just been so much fun to watch. It's just unbelievable what they've done offensively. I actually thought the pitching staff would be uh, a little bit better, though. I think you have to factor in some of the injuries that they've gone through there, and and maybe that's why that's not maybe not quite the level I thought they would be, but I thought that they would be a playoff team. Um, coming into the 60-game season. So I, uh, I've i been very, very happy seeing what they've been doing. And I think, you know, after they're done with Minnesota here, they get uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and Detroit again, if I'm not wrong. So this is a great opportunity to kind of pad that record and solidify their spot and, and keep trying to improve their playoff seating um, in the American League because I don't want to run into uh, Tampa Bay or, or Houston in the first round, especially if Houston's going to be having Verlander coming back at some point. Yeah. I feel like for as good of a team as like Oakland is like, they have like three left-handed starters now, like, right. And you know, you know like, how that goes. yeah, bring, 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 <laughs> bring me them. So, you know, I'm with you as far as like, so I think the trade deadline was weird because I think as Sox fans, like it went to eight playoff teams and we're all like, okay, get this young team, some playoff experience, mm-hmm. just, just get in whatever. Right. Well, at that point, when they announced the expansion, like the expectation changed, like it will be a disappointment if they are not in the playoffs. Yeah, right. Like you you better get in. And I think even like a few weeks in, like they're like 11 and 11. We're like, okay, they're probably still going to sneak in, like get this team, you know, get this team some playoff experience. But now, I mean, I think people, people were clamoring for Lance Lynn because if you get a Lance Lynn, like you could win the World Series. Like I don't, I don't think that's nuts. I mean, they're second in baseball and run differential. Their offense is like the best in the American league. Their pitching has been better than anybody thought it was going to be like, yeah, they could win the world series. Now that doesn't mean that they should, you know, mortgage their future to win this year's world series, but you know, like they're, they're already like kind of right there to the point where, you know, with an off season of a few more additions, I think people should expect this team to be, you know, potentially American league favorites next year. So the, you know, I, I think everybody's calculus has changed. And I think obviously like a lot of that is because of Luis Robert and the years that some of these other offensive guys have had. But one of you know, one of the other, you know, storylines for us this year was just like the amount of prospect debuts there's been. And we didn't really expect it because we didn't know what was gonna happen with this alternative site. The White Sox still have kind of been conservative bringing up prospects, but this year you know, they, they haven't been, they've, they just like kind of brought up guys and thrown them into the fire, you know, over the past few years, um, I think a lot of people have, have paid attention to the minors more because the team's been so bad. And that's kind of the point of this whole thing. What has been your intake of, uh, the White Sox minor league teams, like over the last few years, and then have, have you been more in tune with it, you know, because they were in the rebuild mode for, you know, three to four years? 
Yeah, that's that's definitely the case. I think anytime the team, uh, the major league team, is in a rebuild and they're bad, it, it's hard to keep your focus over the course of a, a six month season and really be that invested on a day to day basis. Of course, you know during the rebuild it was great because I could, you know, buy a ticket for like six dollars and go to any game I wanted, and I was going to a ton of games. But you know, you're not really that emotionally invested, even though you still like to go to the park and, and have a good time and all that. But you're, you're kind of like in the back of your mind, this team's, you know, going to lose 95 games this year. So, you know, what's, how am I really going to get into this game? So it's definitely been more of a focus on the minor league season, especially, you know, um, with all of the, all the highly touted prospects and the, you know, the organizational rankings, you always saw the White Sox uh, near the top. And and it got you really excited, and you were monitoring these guys more than you would have before, because in your mind you're like, wow, well, you know, Moncada is going to be playing shortstop one day, and and he did for a little bit until they moved him. So it's like he's going to be at, at you know 35th and Shields, and Luis Roberts going to be playing center, and Michael Kopech's going to be you know your ace, and and I know that on uh, NBC Sports they were even you know showing Kopech starts, um, you know, from Charlotte for a period of time there, like people were really, really investing in this and, and buying into uh, Eloy and, and all of these uh, and Dylan Cease and all of these young talents that you were just kind of envisioning in your mind, you know, one day these guys will be in White Sox uniforms and they're going to be all-stars. And it was really easy to get excited. I think in terms of this year, the White Sox are, you know, this is kind of a phrase that's said a lot, but they're kind of like a year early. They're they're kind of arriving ahead of when people thought they would. And I think that also probably factored into, you know, standing pat at the trade deadline. They're kind of playing with house money this year. And I think that you don't, you know, go all in too early. And I think that's something that they had to keep in mind because you do still need to continue to develop these guys, even though this year, yeah, that the minor league, um, facility in Schaumburg. It's kind of a weird way to do it. At least some of the prospects um, and, and some of the recently drafted guys as well are still able to get their work in and, and develop. And some of the guys rehabbing from injuries like Rodon, like you mentioned as well, um, you know, able to kind of work himself back and, and try to get right. So definitely been way more attention paid to um, Birmingham and, and Charlotte and Winston-Salem over the past five years or so than, than I probably ever had before. For us here at Future Sox this week is rankings week, so we'll be uh, putting out our top 30 lists upcoming, just something that listeners can look forward to, and it's been pretty consistent. Not a lot has changed. I mean, there's a few names that are going up and down because of, obviously, the circumstances this year, but this is a list of 30 players, and then there's also a just-miss list that we released today of even more prospects that you could consider as, wow, these are really talented White Sox farm system players, like across the board, past 30 players. Like that is, in our opinion, obviously very encouraging, very exciting. Uh, and, and that's just a credit to the White Sox developmental department, their scouting staff, just the the steps forward that they've made over these recent years to uh, reestablish themselves as a complete organization, not just we're using the farm system to catapult our big league squad in any way uh, in which we need some some needs. So when it comes to the pool of talent the White Sox have in their minor league system today, who are some of the prospects that really catch your eye at this point? Haven't talked Michael Kopech very or I should say we haven't seen Michael Kopech very much yet, and he's still considered a prospect. Uh, so Kevin, who do you believe or in your mind is the most exciting prospect that you're keeping an eye on currently? I, I might have a, a of a bias here, but but Kopech is still the guy that I am most excited to see pitch, you know, a full season or something close to a full season. Like I said, when he's back, hopefully next year, you know, he's going to be on an innings limit, uh, almost, you know, no doubt about that. But but to me, you know, ever since they traded Chris Sale and and they got Kopech, you know, he was he was always kind of my guy, and he was the one I was really excited to uh, to see you know I went and saw his first major league start and then you know just a few weeks later he, they announced he needs Tommy John he's going to miss an entire season and then he hops out this year and it just seems like they're, I've just been waiting and waiting and waiting but I still my expectations and and my my hopes and Michael Kopech have not been 
dashed whatsoever. I, I still think that uh, when he does get to the major league level and he gets his shot and hopefully he can stay healthy, I, I still think he will, you know, slot right in as, you know, a, a number one, a number two. I think he, he is that talented and he's going to be able to do that. So that's that's always my personal um, number one. Um, you know, Andrew Vaughn, we talked about him earlier. He don't, he just gets out of bed and starts hitting. He seems to be as can't miss as, as a hitter can be. So I'm, I'm hopeful for him. And then this most recent draft, I'm excited about Jared Kelly as well. You know, Crochet was obviously the first rounder. You know, he's the big lanky lefty. There's always going to be the Chris Sale comparisons, but um, correct me if I'm wrong. The last time the White Sox took uh, an SEC pitcher, in the first round, I think it was Carson Palmer. And uh, maybe I'm just getting in my own head about that, but that ended up so horribly. So I, I can't, I can't stop, but think that Garrett Crochet might, might go down a similar path and, and I might just be crazy, but I don't know about all that. Jared Kelly though, you know, right out of high school. Um, he's a big dude too. I mean, what, he's about six, three, six, four, uh, two twenty. So he, he throws hard. He's got good stuff. You know, obviously 18, he's a few years away and it's going to take a little bit longer, but I really like, uh, the look of him. And I, I think that they've set themselves up, you know, with, with being able to, to keep bringing guys up year after year, maybe next year, it'll be Kopech the year after that, maybe it'll be crochet the year after that, maybe Stever, you know, and, and even further down the line, it could be guys that, you know, we don't really talk about. You, you talked about, um, you know, some of the top 30 lists, you know, you're going deep within these organizational rankings, you know, Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster were not exactly highly touted arms, and they've both come up this year and have been great. You know, Matt Foster in particular has, has been, you know, arguably their best relief pitcher all season long. So it's not even just the guys in the top five, the top 10, but you go a little bit deeper and you look maybe 25 through 30 where you find a Foster on there and you think, okay, well, you know, this guy's been pretty good in the minors, but I don't really know what he's going to be. And he comes up and he's, you know, a fantastic asset out of your bullpen. So it's cool that you guys all, you know, go really, really deep into these organizational rankings because it's not always just the, you know, the highly touted top five guys that are going to make an impact. Sometimes it's guys a little bit further down the list too. I really am a fan of Michael Kopech as well. And I liked what you were saying in terms of just backing the stuff and the talent. I mean, the profile, how could any White Sox fan want to get rid of this player? I mean, I understand there are concerns attached to him, right? It's, just, it's recency bias. You know, you don't see something for a long time, and then you're you're kind of just, you know, you're ready to dismiss it. And the fact that he's been injured, the fact that he opted out this year, you know, people always want to play dime store psychologists and, oh, this guy is this, and you can't handle it, and he's a head case and this and that. It's like, just shut up, man. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. Like, look at how many guys, you know, this year – you know, in this really short ramp up to a, to a 60 game sprint of a season, look how many pitchers have gotten hurt already. And, and Michael Kopech coming off of arm surgery, that's gotta be uh, a factor in his head when he made the decision to opt out. Like I said, I don't want to do the same thing other people are doing and try to get into his head because you shouldn't do that. There's only one guy that's in there and that's him, but you know, there are a million different factors, you know, not even to mention the fact that we're in a global pandemic and, and maybe, <laughs> perhaps there shouldn't be any baseball being played at all. I'm glad there is, but you could certainly make the case that, that all of this is very unnecessary. So there are a million different things that, that go into a decision like that. And I just can't stand it. And particularly, you know, when I'm working at the score and some of these morons that text things in about Kopech, you know, just trying to, to play psychologist, like I said, yeah. and, and write him yeah. off because they haven't seen him in a couple of years. It's like, yeah, trade him to Cleveland for Mike Clevenger and let me know how that goes for the next eight years. Right. And the whole psychology part of it, the mental side of it, once he's on a big league mound, you know, yeah, you're, you're going to deal with the, uh, the, the anxiety of pitching in a major league game, the anxiety of situations have to get out of a jam, this and that. But all of the outside interference, once he's on a big league mound, you're just going to see him pitch. Yeah, you don't I, get to the level, you know, that he has gotten to. And, and you don't, you know, have that kind of talent without, you know, being a, a totally focused, locked in competitor, you know, pitch by pitch, like just one pitch at a time. And, and you have to be, especially, you know, for a starting pitcher, you have to be so locked in. And Lucas Giolito has talked a lot about it, too, over you know, the last couple of seasons as we've seen him grow from uh, a bum essentially to one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. It's like, it's just about focusing 
on the very next pitch and getting the sign from your catcher. And that's all that matters is the next pitch. You're not worried about where you're going to dinner after the game or who's coming up in the next inning or, you know, who's playing center field behind you or who's up in the bullpen or any of that, or, or what's going on in your personal life. None of that matters. And you don't get to the major league level without having that intense laser focus and, and Kopech has it, you know, he has to have it or else he wouldn't be where he is right now. Yeah. And I, I agree with you there. And Dylan Cease mentions the mental side of approaching each pitch and each inning as well. I mean, yeah. it's important and everybody is unique and, Credit to the White Sox for not only their approach with Michael Kopech, but also the way that they allowed Jake Berger to work through his issues as they saw fit. I mean, they allowed Berger to even go to his rehab in Wisconsin because he didn't want to be in Arizona anymore. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's stuff like that, that you credit to the White Sox. You take mental health um, case-by-case basis and obviously very sensitively and seriously. So Michael Kopech, the pitcher, the talent is I can't even explain the value. So I'm really excited. I'm with you there. Um, and then we, I want to bring it back a little bit. Really good stuff, by the way, Kevin. A couple more for you, and we'll let you go. I want to take you back to the Garrett Crochet-Jared Kelly conversation. A lot of questions surrounding Crochet, whether he could trans um, translate as a major league starter. I personally believe that Crochet can start. Uh, and Jared Kelly, that high school prospect with his build, you mentioned already his height and, and how he looks in terms of his size – you don't necessarily see that from a prep arm who's 18 years old and they're both working out in Schaumburg. So I just wanted to get your feel of the way the White Sox are implementing them into their process at this point, uh, obviously given the circumstances and that it's their first uh, season as professionals. Yeah. You know, I think it's great. We, we talked about obviously how this minor league season is, uh, is bizarre. It's not just a, a problem exclusively for the White Sox, you know, it's all around Major League Baseball, just, you know, the cancellation of an actual minor league season. It makes it incredibly difficult, not only for the organization to manage these guys and continue to develop them, but I'm sure for the players as well. You know, I'm sure for, you know, guys like Eric Crochet or Jared Kelly, I'm sure they're absolutely psyched to have been drafted as highly as, as they both were respectively, but I'm sure they also um, are, are not exactly you know, thrilled, maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe they're just kind of shell-shocked by the whole situation because it is it is a weird time, not only for, for baseball players, but for everybody. And and when you are 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, like these uh, younger, the younger end of the prospect list is, uh, I'm sure you just want to get out there and play baseball in any circumstance. So I'm sure it was kind of like a shell-shock at first, like, wow, I'm not reporting to, you know, uh, Great Falls or something like that. I'm just going to Schaumburg and I'm going to uh, just kind of basically scrimmage and get my work in and, and do that. And that's that's kind of what they have to do. And it's it's kind of bizarre. But, um, you know, it, it's every team is dealing with it. It's not just the White Sox. And I think that over the last few seasons, we've seen the Sox develop enough quality players and, and arms that I think that you know, you, you can have a lot of faith in guys like Crochet and, and Jared Kelly and, and even Stever, who's a few more years along. But I, I think you look at some of the other, you know, talents that have come up recently. And for me, you know, it puts a lot more confidence in me that the organization kind of have found their way and, and they know what they're doing because there's certainly been more hits than misses. And as far as Crochet, I was, you know, made a little a joke earlier about the last first rounder they took out of the SEC. But also, you know, a lot of people were saying Chris Sale would, would be a, just a bullpen guy. And he came up and, and he was out of the bullpen. They're like, oh, this guy can't be a starter and, and this and that. So you, know, you never want to just pigeonhole a guy that early in his development. I remember, you know, the same things Time said about Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech. Maybe these are just bullpen arms. And, and I think that's maybe one of the worst things you can do is, is kind of slot a guy in when they're 22, 23 years old and, and kind of pigeonhole them into a role. You have to... In my mind, if the guy's got the arm for it and the stuff, you have to go in with the anticipation that every one of these guys could be a starter. And and you never want to lock a guy in a box that early and kind of restrict them and restrict their growth. You want to have the mindset that this guy could be in my rotation going forward. And you look around, not only the Sox, who've had their share of injuries, but all around Major League Baseball, you should have eight, nine starting pitchers available and, and, and at any given time to be able to slot into a rotation, both at the major and, and the triple A or the double A level and be able to slot guys in that can go in and throw 
you know, 90 to 100 pitches for you uh, at any given time. So you, you don't want to ever, you know, put a lid on somebody's potential and say, oh, well, you know, he throws hard, so he's got to be a closer. No, we're not going to do that with, with Jared Kelly, hopefully, just like they didn't do it with, with Kopech or Cease. So, Kevin, the focus is rightfully on, you know, this season and this playoff chase. I want to, you know, kind of take you and ask your thoughts on something that's, you know, that's kind of been a popular topic on White Sox Twitter and even at the station with, you know, the um, Yasmani Grandal and James McCann thing issue, I guess. It's not really an issue. It's a really good problem to have to have those two catchers. But, you know, the debate with how James McCann should catch Lucas Giolito every time through the order. and how Lucas Giolito should have James McCann as his personal catcher all the time. What are your thoughts, I guess, on on that that whole, I guess, debate with you know the the fact is that James McCann is probably going to be looking to be a starting catcher somewhere next year. So how do you how do you think that plays out? And then how do you you know how do how do you think it is going like right now? And what side I guess of the aisle do you fall on in regards to that? Well, I. Uh... I know that the White Sox gave a lot of money to Yasmani Grandal. They gave him $73 million over four years. So he's not going anywhere. And uh, I'm okay with it. I, I think, you know, I I knew what to expect from Yasmani Grandal. You know, I, uh, I, I watch, I've watched him play for a long time, and I kind of knew what they were getting. You know, he's not a guy that's going to hit 300. His batting average is probably going to be a little bit lower than you'd like, but he's going to get on base a lot, and he's going to provide a lot of value defensively and, and with the pitching staff and in terms of framing and all that and, and handling arms, and he's going to hit some home runs and he's done pretty much everything that I expected. I think with a lot of White Sox fans, you know, they expect too much from free agents and it's not every White Sox fan because I know there are, you know, a million White Sox fans and, and more out there that watch every team and, and they, you know, do their homework and they know what to expect from a player and they don't want to raise their expectations up. But there's also a large contingent, that when they see $74 million given to a guy, they expect him to hit 400 and lead the league in home runs. That's not who Yasmani Grandal is. You know what I mean? He's, he's never been that, and I knew what to expect from him. So I know a lot of people have been disappointed by him. I'm not one of them. And you look at James McCann, he was an all-star last season, really just had the, the, the good first half, but that's good enough to get you on the all-star team. But he has just been unbelievable this season. I mean, the OPS is close to 1,000. I think he's hitting 350, you know, every time he's putting the barrel on the ball, hitting it hard. And I can understand, you know, back to the point of recency bias, a lot of White Sox fans saying, oh, let's trade Yasmani Grandal. We got James McCann now. No, they're not going to do that either. I think that James McCann is, you know, he has since coming to Chicago, just done a masterful job of, of turning his career around. I mean, he was a second round pick um, of the Tigers organization, a, a player that they had high hopes for it never really worked for him there he comes to Chicago makes an all-star team having a fantastic year this year as well in a contract year by the way so I think you're absolutely right James he's going to he's going to walk at the end of this year some team you know look at almost every team but the White Sox needs help at catcher right so one team out there is going to see what he's done over the last couple of seasons and give him a lot of money and he's earned every penny of that. And I just think the White Sox, I'm sure, you know, look, they like you, like you said, a good problem to have when you need to split times between uh, split time between these two players, but they're just, it's not feasible economically to invest that much money into one position. Even if you do want to have a ton of depth and you want to have contingency for slump and injury and, and all of the above, when you're paying Grandal 74, McCann is probably, I mean, I don't know what to estimate with this new free agent market and in this COVID world, but I imagine he's going to get a hefty chunk of money himself, $40, $50 million maybe, and depending on the length of the contract. And it just wouldn't make sense for the White Sox to match that and have so much money invested in one position when they do still need help uh, in the outfield and in the rotation and in the bullpen. So, you know, James McCann is, like I said, good for him. He has totally reinvented his career and, and given himself an opportunity to be a very rich man. I expect he will be a very rich man, richer than he already is, uh, but it will be somewhere else next season. That's a shame, but, you know, it's uh, good for James McCann. He seems like one of the really good dudes in baseball. Yeah, and I think he is a really good dude. And I think, you know, while he, you know, he contributed greatly to Lucas Giolito's success, right? But I, I mm-hmm. do think you know, it's being oversold a little bit 
you know, the fact that he would even stay here. Like what, you know, like I'm sure the White Sox could, could compete with an offer if they wanted to, but I, I think he wants to go play somewhere and start. So I think that's probably, you know, I don't think he's going to come back here to catch Lucas Giolito and be Yasmani Grandal's caddy. But I, but I also think yeah. that, you know, thinking that Lucas 26 year old Lucas Giolito still needs, you know, like his blanket going forward is kind of just that whole thing to me is like, you know, McCann should catch him every, every time he's able to, this season, but just assuming that Lucas Giolito, who was once the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball, by the way, is just going to like crumble without James McCann here. I, I guess I just like, don't really think that conversation's fair to Lucas Giolito either. No. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. You know, obviously every starting pitcher is going to have a preference and a guy that, you know, they feel a, a certain rapport and a connection to. And, and with Giolito, you know, he, he talks about it all the time. He's not shy about, you know, talking about the influence and the 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 role that McCann has played in, in his um, career revival, but it's just down to a, a dollars and cents issue. You know what I mean? It's Like I said, I'd love to have James McCann and Yasmani Grandal here. Having two all-star caliber, all-star caliber catchers that, you know, do have different skill sets and do different things well, I think, you know, it's, it's a dream. And, and I've never seen... Uh, a White Sox team with, you know, this caliber of depth at the catching position. It's its almost unheard of in, in the majors these days when there aren't many good catchers and you have two fantastic ones here on the White Sox. But yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, Lucas Giolito is not going to revert back to 2018. Lucas Giolito, if James McCann is not here to uh, receive the ball from him, I think he's going to be fine and, and he's going to get along swimmingly with Yasmani Grandal. You know, Grandal is a veteran. He's a pro. He, he's a winner. He's great behind the plate in his own right. And I think Giolito and the rest of the guys will be just fine when McCann inevitably does move on. Kevin Zipak, very well said, sir. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for the conversation. We really enjoyed it. Uh, keep up the good work as the associate producer of Moley and Haw at 670 The Score. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks you guys, you guys for having me. Uh, big fan of the website, so I uh, was excited to uh, to hop on here. Thanks a lot. You can follow us on anchor.fm forward slash Future Socks for our full library. You can also check us out on iTunes as well as Spotify for our full Future Socks podcast library. For Kevin Zipak of 670 The Score as well as James Fox, our senior writer at Future Socks, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. We will talk to you all next time.